the twilight of the gods' nears. Brother will kill brother. Families will be sundered by murder. Four ages are afoot. An axe age, a sword age, where shields are cloven. A wind age, a wolf age, where the world falls. No one shall be spared. Welcome to Ragnarok and Roll, a Scion RPG podcast. Prepare for adventure. Hi, this is Kelly, a.k.a. Trixie from Ragnarok and Roll, a Scion to Ragnarok story, and Tilda Wimblewick from D&D Journey of the 5th Edition. First off, I would just like to say thank you to everyone for listening to our varied adventures, as well as for rating us on iTunes and RPGpodcast.com. If you haven't rated us yet, we would greatly appreciate it if you could. And if you're looking for more ways to support our efforts, we are now on Patreon, a great site where you can help us continue making more podcasts, as well as some special surprises for our patrons. If you can, please look us up at www.patreon.com cppn. Every little bit helps. And again, thank you for listening. Welcome to Scion Ragnarok and Roll. A Scion Hero to Ragnarok Adventure. This is Kane's Story of Ascension. It's introspection from Ascension. I have returned to my desert. I stand looking out across the plains, watching and feeling the desert stretch out before me. The shop radio drums on behind me. A spark of annoyance lights across my mind as the radio begins to talk about the freak meteor strike that hit Fargo, North Dakota, and the knowledge that it all could have been easily avoided with a few simple words and a little bit of knowledge passed on to me and my band. I think back over the choices and the games that the quote-unquote gods played in the events leading up to a small town being wiped off the face of the map, and other games played throughout the entire trip, from my simple mortal life to where I stand now. I cannot help but roll over and rethink how easy it would have been to make things easier and better. But now I sit, preparing for what I know is coming, taking what small steps I can to protect those that are left that matter to me. I look back out upon the yard and into the shop, trying to focus on a project, an idea, something to clear my mind. I check the wiring on the freezer. I check the generators, cutouts, and fuel supplies. I know I've done it right. I've checked it repeatedly since I've returned home. And I turn and look out into the yard knowing that I must start fresh with a new project to try and keep the thoughts from rolling back over into the frustration and anger. I wander into the yard looking at the hulks and wrecks that are there looking for what's going to inspire me to move forward. I wander aimlessly amongst them, looking. Yet every minute or so, I find myself stopped thinking and frustrated and angry. I find I cannot move my mind past just how simple it would have been to have things end in a fashion that would not be pushing the world to the brink. 
As my frustration mounts, I hear something out beyond the fences. I stop and I listen. And I open the rest of my senses. And then I catch the smell. Ancient blood. Ancient leather. And I hear heavy boots stepping amongst the rocks in the sand. And I know he's there. And he's watching me. I stop and pick up a bezel and hold it up to the moonlight as to examine it and look past it to the moon. And then I look into the moon and I see all around me and I see him. My father waiting to talk to me. I do not know if he understands that even as a god the night is more mine than his. I contemplate calling out to him and discard the idea almost immediately and go back wandering amongst my projects letting my thoughts stray to him and the games that even he plays and wonder if it's the nature of being a god to try and prove that you're the smartest creature in the room rather than simply giving the information that would let us solve the problem the silly games even the silent god plays them his first task for me was to make something right and had I simply followed what was obvious I'd have made a horrible situation worse when he knew the answer and could have given it to me and then Loki Loki's game of just not wanting to acquire the heart of winter I almost laugh at the stupidity of it simply letting us know what it is would have let us at least come up with a plan to do something with it and certainly not let those idiot dwarves have it though it did work out excruciatingly well for them I continue my wandering watching hearing my father as he paces to keep up and keep me in his view I have no intention of inviting him over to make it my idea for him to initiate the conversation he obviously wishes to have why should I give him or them any more consideration than they give us I have plans and things I need to do there are still people in this world that matter to me the mother who took me in for no reason other than I needed someone who still takes in kids because they need someone the freezer is the first step the shop is another step I fill the, sh fill the freezer with meat that I hunt and I set the shop as a secure compound for her because I can see the storm clouds the confrontation that's coming I can hear the tension in the world leaders voices on the radio I can hear the worry as their experts tell them the famine that's going to come because the winter is going to be far colder and far longer than any we've ever experienced and the tension bleeds off them in every word and all I can do is take care of those that still matter and it's funny that I look 
at the ones that I have not seen in years and who are not blood and did not pick me for being special. And they matter far more to me than my biological father or the father that chose me because I fit his thought, his needs. I hear his approach. His patience apparently has worn out and he's coming to talk to me. I let him approach. I wait until he has to come clearly in sight to approach closer and turn and look at him and watch him come closer. His ice cold voice tells me that it is time for me to receive the other gifts that come with ascending from going from mortal to a demigod. And we both turn and leave and we walk out of the yard into the night air and we wander down the dirt roads and into town to the old library where the old ash tree sits in the front. I watch him climb and I follow. As we go higher among the branches, I can feel things changing. The world's not the world anymore. It's a completely different place. And I look out and I find myself looking upon Asgard. The stray thoughts run across my mind. The thoughts of what are we doing? What are they going to ask of me now? And the thoughts of how movies and comics have gotten this way wrong. And we continue down, or is it up? A tree this mammoth, it's hard to tell which way you're going. But we step out, we step out onto the splendorous plains into Vidar leads me to the hills and to a cave and we head down deeper and deeper impossibly deep for such a small hill and from all the directions i hear hammering pickaxes and what i am sure is cursing in some foreign language till we enter a large cavern and i see what i know now to be dwarves hammering and working he utters something to a short stocky long-bearded dwarf who approaches and tells me he wants my gloves my instant thought is to tell him to go to hell but I somehow don't think it's a matter of taking my gloves. So I strip them off and hand them to the old dwarf. And he t- points to a chair and tells me to sit down. And he wanders off to a small dwarven woman who looks impossibly ancient. That so ancient that even as dwarf, she doesn't look stocky anymore. She looks thin and frail. But I notice her hands move agilely as she examines the gloves. The old dwarf comes back and starts looking at my arms and my neck and mutters to himself and calls several other dwarves over and I hear rapid fire discussion between them. One dwarf takes a hold of my arm examining the flame tattoos and then pulls out an archaic looking tattoo gun and starts etching flames over flames and I'm immediately struck by just how much this tattoo hurts and noticing that it doesn't bleed. It looks like it may start to want to bleed, but then seals. And then the other dwarf is working on my roses, and he's adding new roses in. And I'm immediately struck by the absurdity of having blue roses. But my thoughts and objection that was coming is interrupted by another dwarf climbing up my leg, standing on my chest and beginning to work on the heaven tattoo upon my neck. And again, the pain is excruciating. It's unlike any tattoo I've ever felt. The changes and improvements are made to my tattoos. And then I'm called to follow Vidar. And I follow him out onto the plains as he explains as he explains the other effects of the Fembelventer being caused with the meteor strike in Fargo. He explains that beyond the chaos caused in the physical world, all of humanity has moved closer to the Titans and has embraced their virtues in some manner and further explains the fear the gods have of further binding themselves to humanity and taking a direct 
action to change the course of events. He explains that is why they need new gods like myself to take the direct actions. He begins to explain the tension that will be coming. I stop him, simply explaining that I'd have to be an idiot not to realize that a three year long winter is going to cause tension in the world. For a second, he glowers at me and then turns and continues walking. He talks further about the virtues that humanity will begin to embrace and how those virtues will compound the real world problems and push things further and further to the brink and that our actions, our supernatural actions, can inspire those who see them and turn them away from the Titan's virtues. As we walk, I realize we're back upon the road to the Rainbow Bridge, and I know it's time for me to go home. And the idea suddenly strikes me that, at this point, my home is neither my home nor is Asgard my home. I'm stuck somewhere in the middle. The world I grew up on is now small in comparison to what it was, and this world is still terminally alien and strange. As I set, f set foot upon the bridge to make my p way home, the realization that we're walking a path that leads us to the same situation, the same entrapment that they walked, hits me. And I begin to laugh, and I find myself laughing to myself in the yard of the shop. And I realize that as funny as the irony is, the terrible reality is I can avoid this, the same entrapments but to do that, I have to sacrifice the good I can do. To free the world, I have to enslave myself to fate, to people's beliefs. And I have not come to a complete acceptance of that idea. To be self-sacrificing enough to tie myself to people's beliefs to save them. I decide it's time to head out and see what's happening in the world to truly feel the effects of the Fimbulventer. I travel between the small towns on my way into Phoenix, feeling that perhaps the big city would give me the better feel. And there's an almost tangible tension in the air. And the radio sings a song of increased violence, increased apathy, and beyond just a statistical increase, the descriptions are far more graphic, far more sadistic, embracing far more malice. And I begin to understand what is coming. I travel the streets, not sure where I'm headed, until I hear what is surely a riot, and I come to a stop in front of a bar that looks nothing short of a riot. People are fighting, and knives are drawn, chains are used, and I find myself looking at the people involved in this and feeling sad and sorry for them. For the Fimbulventer has just begun, and they're already tearing at each other and it crystallizes in my mind what is coming. I walk into the crowd, and I draw as much attention as I can with an incoherent scream. In the moment people turn to look at me, I trigger my knack of game face and watch people run, tripping over themselves in terror, and make my way back out and down the street and head towards home, thinking the entire trip on the decision before me and knowing ultimately there is no decision for me. There's only one course of action I can take. I come back to town, and the sun is up, and I travel to the counting house and transfer the title for the shop and my property over to Nancy, and then I proceed to climb back in my truck and make a trip that I am dreading. It's a trip that I should have been making daily for years. I drive slowly, hoping I'll come to a realization that will let me escape this trip this stop on my journey. 
I reach the four-way stop, my destination to the right, and I sit almost paralyzed with fear, and again find myself on the verge of laughter that I'm afraid to make this right turn and face her when turning and facing a fire giant was not even a half-second thought. I slowly make the turn and pull into the driveway, and I see movement inside the house. I see see the door open, and I see the form at the door, and I know immediately it's her. And the urge to leave hits me, but I open the door and step out and walk to her and die a little bit inside when the look on her face says she's expecting bad news, that I'm in some sort of trouble. And I realize I'm afraid of a woman who's 60 years old and all of five foot three with gray hair, but I still find myself trembling on the inside and explain to her that with what's happened in North Dakota, things will get bad and probably far worse than she can imagine. And that I want her and the kids she's taken in to be safe. I show her the paperwork for the truck and for the shop. I explain to her that she can be safe there, that she should file the paperwork to have it in her name and take as much food as she can and go there. She wants me to explain what I know, what I'm going to do. And I can't find the words and I can't find myself willing to lie to her. So I tell her I'm just going to do what I have to do and I walk away past my truck. And it's a funny thought that it's not mine. That even though I built it, I'm not that person. I head back down to the four-way stop and turn right again, heading back towards the edge of town and taking the steps towards a future that is assuredly not what I want. I don't wish to see myself being trapped into other people's expectations of me. To lie, to trick, to be mysterious because that's what's expected of me. When I can save more by being honest, but not being able to because that wouldn't be me. I have to be what is expected, what is fated to be me. But as I turn to make my path. I look at the house that I grew up in and know that it's still not a choice I can make. Hey everyone, Tucson Games and Gadgets would like to wish you a Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays! Hi, this is Jim from Ragnarok and Roll, a Scion Hero to Ragnarok Podcast and the Creative Play and Podcast Network. And I'd just like to say thank you for listening. And may fate always be on your side.